Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another Nepsis Invest with Clarity podcast with Mark Pearson. Today we're going to talk about the five dreadful C's, as in the letter C, of mutual fund investing. All right, Mark, where are we going to start with this? Are we going to go over the C's first, or why don't you give everybody a little bit of a background on where this came from? Sure. Well, as, as people who have listened to our podcast probably can understand or gather, we're not huge fans of mutual funds because, remember, we believe that fundamental investing starts with what we call the four keys to successful investing, right? The investment philosophy, strategy, flexibility, and transparency. And overlaid on that is this idea of clarity. The more you can understand and know about what you own and why you own it, the more it can educate, the more it can give you wisdom in the decisions you make to help you accomplish your financial and investment goals. So when you think about a mutual fund, mutual funds lack multiple things. And uh, we call those the five C's, which of course are number one, confusion, right? Mutual funds can be very confusing. Number two, the constraints, constrainment, how mutual funds constrain you as an investor. And we can certainly talk about that. Number three, they can complicate the investment process, which, of course, we can talk about that. It can be costly. They can be costly. And mutual funds can be in conflict with their own mandate. So conflict is the fifth. Of course, the sixth C, which is not called the six C's, it's called the five C's. But the one big C is clarity. Of course, Matt mm-hmm. can overlay all of that to help investors be more successful or attempt at least to be more successful in their investment process. Let's start from the back and move forward. So let, let's start with conflict. What what do you mean by that? Well, uh, certainly conflict is uh, one of these kind of things where there can be a multiple areas of conflict within a, a mutual fund process, right? You know, the fund industry, despite the preaching against it, promotes a culture of performance, right? Even though it knows perfectly well that that can mislead investors. They know the research supporting the thesis that past performance is not indicative of future results, yet they you know, they take out the expensive advertisements on websites and financial periodicals that tout their performance. So mutual fund companies say they believe in the merits of long-term investing, yet the typical manager sells every stock in their portfolio at least once a year, resulting in turnover being 1% per annum. You know, Most people don't really fundamentally understand, Matt, what is the actual turnover of a mutual fund portfolio when you talk about long-term performance. And the conflict can then also be when you're a mutual fund, of course, you've got all this money commingled together, right? So if you have people that need to sell their investments, while you may have people in there who think in their long-term investing, if withdrawals come out of that, it comes out of the whole bucket. It affects everybody in that portfolio, right? So you, you could potentially be putting yourself into a position of, number one, a capital gains issue, unbeknownst to you, right? They could be selling a great business in a portfolio, thus affecting short-term and potentially long-term investment performance in that. But the reality is, as they tout long-term investing, 
they are also promoting annual returns, one-year, three-year, five-year returns. I even one guy a couple weeks ago, I'm not kidding, asked us, asked us if we could send him our 30-day returns, monthly returns. Wow. Who tracks monthly returns? I mean, that's insane to me. So, you know, there can be multiple conflicts that run within a mutual fund portfolio. You know, the other thing is a lot of these things are, you know, we mentioned constraint. You know, mutual funds have a prospectus mandate, right? So what happens if market conditions change and you want to make some decisions? I remember back in the financial crisis, we were buying a hedging tools in our portfolios to hedge against the market going down at the time. Mutual funds really can't do that. They have to stick to a very specific investment objective. And so, uh, you know, the idea of conflict and constraint can be, you know, can have an impact on a portfolio, on a mutual fund and its performance. Okay. That makes sense to me. The next one, actually, I think it is is very, very clear, which is costly. But I don't th- I mean, just because I've been in the industry, I understand how mutual funds are priced. And But let's talk about that. I don't think a lot of people truly understand. I think you're going to be very clear with this. But I don't think people truly understand how mutual funds make money and how those costs are passed on to the consumer. Well, of course, it could be different in many different ways from different companies, but obviously all that is you know, detailed in the perspectives that I'm sure every one of our investors who's tuned into listens, uh, reads, right? Oh, of course. Uh, it's great reading. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, with the creation of the index funds now, especially when you look at the exchange-traded funds and the costs associated with that and this whole, whole idea you know, of the race to the bottom, the reality is that many times – investors don't even know what the costs are associated with the investment. So with the creation of the index mutual fund and exchange traded funds and discount brokerage services, um, you know, there's, it's no secret that many mutual funds have been and justly criticized for their high costs. Now, this is just getting into the index mutual funds, obviously not the ETFs, but now when you go into the actively managed funds and and the associated costs, soft dollars, for example, most people tuning in this probably don't even know what soft dollars are, right? Marketing dollars, trading expenses. Do you know what the trading expenses are when they buy and sell positions in the mutual fund and how it impacts the overall return? I don't know. No, no most people don't. Yeah. Right? I, look, I think at the end of the day, Matt, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It would seem to me, let's talk about, let's talk with common sense for a minute. It would seem to me, logical and commonsensically, that the people who have money have worked hard for their money. It, it, probably most, if not all cases, of people tuned into the show, right? And if you've worked hard for your money and your money is as important to you as many people behave as it is, wouldn't it stand to reason? that you would want every advantage you could get to hopefully enhance your success in investing. Of course, yep. right? So the more clarity I have in what the actual expenses are, which at least at Nepsis, the only true expense is the trading costs. There are costs to do trades, Okay. Now we happen to lock, we happen to lump all trading costs into the investor's fee. 
So at the end of the day, the fee is the fee is the fee. Mm -hmm. And I can trade 50,000 times a year and it doesn't impact the cost of the client's portfolio. It impacts me, Mm -hmm. but not them, right? So it keeps us completely aligned with what's going on. You know, with mutual funds, not only do the investors pay the manager, right? Guys like me to, 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 to manage it, but they pay a group of attorneys to draft and distribute those awesome prospectuses, of course, that everybody reads all the time each year, right? Statements of additional information, all the marketing that goes on to market the mutual fund and third party uh, transfer agents, custodial fees, all these, you know, you're familiar with the 12B1 fees on the commission side of the business, depending on whether you have an A share, B share, C share Mm -hmm. cost. The reality is we can talk about cost all day long. The reality is that most people don't know what the costs are within their investments. Now, I happen to think that it's important for the investors to understand how much they're investing. Notice I say investing in that cost. Investing in Nepsis to be a team player with them and helping them accomplish their investment goals. Because the way Nepsis gets compensated, the more money the investor makes, the more money Nepsis makes. Wouldn't it stand a reason that we want to be on the same page together? Sure. Which in a mutual fund environment, you're not going to necessarily get those same types of situations. And brilliantly, once again, even though I'm going backwards, you just brought us right into the next C, which is constraint. Yes. I, one of the things that, and I'll tell you, we write this all the time. We tell investors all the time because we still have investors who call their advisors and say, you know, why isn't my portfolio doing as well as the S&P 500? For appropriate asset allocation, you should not have all your money in the S&P 500, period. End of story. No financial advisor in their own mind will tell you to put 100% of your money into the S&P 500. So the mere idea that many investors continue to use this false narrative, this false idea of a unfair and, frankly, an inappropriate uh, comparison only is going to hurt the investor over time, Right. What we tell investors is for ultimate portfolio management, we believe in the idea of being completely unconstrained. If an investor looks at their portfolio, of course, you and I have talked about modern portfolio theory in the past, right? Yep. Most financial advisors and portfolio, you know, most financial advisors would say, we need to allocate your portfolio, Mr. and Mrs. Client in a manner similar to what they call modern portfolio theory, which is a basically, in a nutshell, a blend of large cap, mid cap, and small cap value, and large, mid, and small cap growth, international, emerging markets, real estate, bonds, you know, alternative investments, blah, 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 right? This is the theory of modern, spread it out across multiple asset classes because Not all stock classes work the same, even though most people think that that's the case. And so when investors, and this is the problem investors have, when investors go to look at their portfolio and they look at each individual fund in their portfolio, the behavioral aspect of the investors to go, geez, this investment did better than that one. That investment did better than this one. And they say, why don't we put all our money in that investment? I mean, you've been in this business. How many times do you ever hear people say that? And and what they don't understand is every position is owned in the portfolio for a specific reason to get a specific outcome. So what that means is 
that when you set up your allocation of large, mid, small cap, international, emerging markets, blah, 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 all that stuff, you're constrained. What happens if there's a correction in the emerging markets? You know, the EEM is down over 10% year to date right now. I think the MSCI EFA is down like 5% year to date. And investors look at, bond, uh, look at the S&P, and, they, and by the way, bonds for the most part are down year to date. And so they look at, they look at their S&P 500 and large cap growth, and they go, gee, why isn't the rest of my portfolio doing as well? Not everything does the same at the same time. That's why you asset allocate. That's why diversification is not the same as asset allocation. We've talked about that on previous shows. Most mutual funds that you invest in, they have to stick to the perspective, prospectus, investment objectives. What is the investment objective of that particular fund? Most investors, I believe, Matt, do not understand fundamentally what that means and how it impacts the overall portfolio performance. We prefer to live in a world of unconstraints. So we're a global asset allocation strategy. We own large, small, we own large, mid, small cap. We own growth. We own value. We own emerging markets. We own international. And when we want to hedge or if we want to leverage, we do that. When we want to, we are completely unconstrained. Mutual funds don't have that luxury. Complicate. So the fourth C of the five dreadful C's of mutual fund investing is complicate. And again, I think you've given us a little foreshadowing there, but but dive in deeper. Yeah, when you think about complication, I mean, you know, what most investors spend their time doing is looking at annual returns. At the end of the year, you know, did I make money or not? I always love when people say, the only report card I'm going to use for you is if I made money at the end of the year or not. And I say to them, Godspeed, I hope you have a great life and you have great investment success, but you're not going to be happy with me. And they say, why? Because I say, the only thing I'm going to do is put you in a CD. Because if you expect a positive rate of return every year, a CD will be just your, will be just your milk and honey. So you enjoy yourself doing the CDs. The banks do it and they don't charge you to do it like we would. And so uh, uh, at the end of the day, complicate really refers to the investment process, complication of the investment process. They look at this annual return. But do they really understand, does the investor really understand, Matt, how the returns were garnered? Do they really understand if the, if the fund was up 12% that year, where did that 12% come from? How much risk was taken to get that associated return? You know, in our estimation, we think that most mutual funds do a pretty poor job of simplifying the investment process. You know, mutual funds are meant to be an effective and efficient way to broaden diversification at a low cost. But the problem today with many of these mutual funds, as you know, is not that they are broadly diversified, but frankly, many of them are too diversified. And if you look at returns of some of the ETFs out there right now, we looked at one ETF, I may have even talked about it recently with you. Over 45 or 50 percent of the ETF was in four stocks. Now, the short-term returns may look great, Matt, but the complication of the investment process means that the investor truly does not fundamentally understand how the returns were garnered in that portfolio. And if you don't, I always say this, if you don't know how much risk, if you truly do not understand the amount of risk that was taken to get the associated return you get on that investment, bluntly, you have no business putting your money in that investment. But the mutual fund industry and the opaque way that it's run, investors put their money in 
and they feel like the only benchmark, the only way to determine if they have been successful or not is to look at the return at the end of the year. That is not – statistically, that is not the way to measure portfolio success. And so I think that when you look at the complication of the investment process and, frankly, the opaqueness of it, why would you want to put your money into something like that? Money you've worked so hard for. Sorry, I'm a little passionate. That's okay. And, and I honestly, I don't know how else to answer the question besides I agree with you on that. Okay, we've gone through conflict, costly, constraint, <laughs> complicate. You're not even going to fight now. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that one. I'm waiting to fight you on one. You know I try to get you every podcast. I've yet to even begin to figure out where I'm going because this is just – this just makes way too much sense. What What is the last and final C? So we had conflict, uh, it, costly, uh, uh, constraint, complicate. It was the first one that you said. Confusion. Oh, there we go. Well, maybe I can argue with you on this one. I, I doubt it, man. Okay, confusion, go. <laughs> you know, the legendary mutual fund portfolio manager, Peter Lynch, right? He was the guy who ran the Magellan Fund for uh, Fidelity. In the 1980s, he coined the phrase in regards to investing, know what you own and know why you own it. I wish I could have come up with that sooner. I mean, that's what I always say, but yeah. he made the statement as he firmly believed that the more investors knew about the components of their portfolios, the more likely they were to reach their goals and objectives. Sound familiar? Uh, just a uh, little bit, yeah. <laughs> although a profound comment at the time, little did Lynch know that 25 years later, how relevant his statement would become. As it pertains to mutual funds, what many investors do not know, Matt, is that mutual funds, by their very design, were created to be somewhat ambiguous. You know, look, you cannot – look, here's the thing. Mutual funds, SEC ruling – SEC laws, you you cannot report what you own or what you've bought or sold until the end of the quarter, right? So at the end of each quarter, you report what your holdings are, okay? Okay. Does, do, how many investors go back and compare what is owned in from one quarter to the next, right? And pr- probably not many. And not only that, who's to say that the day after the quarter ends, that the, because something happened, that the money manager sold a position or positions and got out of it, right? So following the debacle of the uh, market meltdown of the 1929 crash, securities legislation in the 1930s tried to thwart behavior that aided the downfall. The SEC set in motion the mandatory portfolio disclosure frequency, a period of six months to prevent such illegal activity as front-running and other speculative activities against mutual funds. So you literally cannot know what is owned in your mutual fund until the end of the quarter, right? So here you look at returns. You look at historical returns. You have no idea how much risk was taken to get the returns that you got. You know, you don't know what percentage of a position was owned in the portfolio to get that return. Yet you sit there and you say, you know what, I'm going to put my money with this fund manager because he did 15% last year and the S&P 500 did 12. Is that really logical? Is that even common sense? And so when you look at the industry as it promotes, can you get me your historical returns? You know, we talk to broker-dealers all the time. Uh, can, you get, can you send us a copy of your return sheets? And we laugh and we say, we would, never be dumb enough to, we would never be dumb enough to print our historical returns. And they say, why is that? And we say, because historical. 
It doesn't mean jack squat at the end of the day. It's history. It's the returns, in other words, Matt, are a result of a process. Process is what creates returns. Okay? Historical returns are exactly that. History. There are no guarantees of uh, repeating history. I find it ironic that we spend our time wanting to look at historical returns, yet in every single piece of marketing piece that comes from any ETF, mutual fund, or anywhere else, there's a disclosure, a disclosure at the bottom that says, past performance is not indicative of future performance. But why don't we look at historical performance and make our decisions to buy this investment anyways? Mark, isn't there an entire system called GIPS or GIBS or something like that? Yes. that yes. yes. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a big thing, isn't it? Gips is big. People spend a lot of money on it. We looked at it. Uh, the problem with our business, I think it's very difficult to give people you know, a framework for historical returns when we're in SMA. Here's why the, we believe in the Jeremy Siegel to quote. It's time in an investment, not timing an investment. And actually, Jeremy Siegel says it's time in a market, not timing the market. And here's what I mean by that. We have assets come in every day to Nepsis to manage. But stocks are going up and down all the time. And on any given day, any given quarter, the portfolio can look very differently from one investor to the next just based on when that money came in and when we started investing in a particular company. In other words, I really think in our particular case, new dollars that come in here at Nepsis, no guarantees, but their emerging markets and their international stocks in the next two or three years will look phenomenal compared to somebody who was with us two years ago, right, or a year ago. Because you have to let a process – that's why they call it a process, by the way. It takes time. Investing is a process. Investing in businesses over time because there's expansion and contraction. We own a company. I won't give you the name. Here's a classic example of this. We just started buying this company probably in March or April. I don't remember exactly when. We started buying it at 22, 23. We bought it up to 25 or so. And this is just from the spring, Matt. The stock went from 25 to 19. At 22, we decided, using our conviction index, to go buy a boatload more. All this new money buys this stock all of a sudden at 22, not 25, like a lot of clients did, but 22. Fast forward to today, the stock is at 43. Okay, now... Granted, that's short term, but someone buying at 22 is a lot happier than someone who bought at 25, right? But that has an impact on the portfolio return, granted not by much, but as you own that investment over time, if the fundamentals play it out the way it should, whether you bought it at 22 or 25, someday it could be at 50, 60, 70, $80 a share. Are you going to really care if you bought it at 22 or 25? No. And the longer you own that investment, the more the reversion to the average returns you will come to in your portfolio. All right, Mark, closing statements on these five C's, the dreadful C's of mutual funds, confusion, complication, consistent, costly, and conflict. Any final thoughts? My final thoughts are that no matter how you want to invest, make sure you invest with clarity. And with that... If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. But but what would be even better is go back and listen 
to some of the other podcasts. There have been a couple of little mini series that Mark has done. Um, we've had uh, some of his investment people on. There's a lot of amazing information in these podcasts. And if you know another financial services professional or an investor who really needs to hear how they need to invest with clarity, make sure you share the podcast by clicking that subscribe. I'm sorry, share now button below. For Mark Pearson and everybody at Nepsis, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 